welcome to the Pondering Theologian Podcast. I'm the host, Nathaniel. In today's episode, I want to think a little bit about the things that we take into ourselves, the things that we fully embody in, in, in what we do and how we go about life. And some of this kind of comes in continuing looking at the Gospel of Matthew, which we've looked at a little bit over the last uh, two or I think two episodes uh, in, in Matthew chapter 16, and looking at kind of all the different themes that it's popped up has been just this little side project of mine. It's going to come out in this episode a little bit more. So we're going to be reading Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28, um, picking up where we stopped in the last episode uh, in Matthew. And then we're going to be doing sort of the same thing with Romans. Last episode, we read Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. Well, we're reading Romans 12, verses 9 through 21 in this episode. So we will start by reading those two verses. So Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone for evil with evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them, and if they are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hand of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan! You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of the Father. And then he will repay everyone for what he has done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death 
before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I believe I've mentioned in past episodes that I worked for uh, auto parts company for a number of years as a sales manager. While I was there, it was always interesting to watch the things that I now recognize is the human spirit buying into or fully embracing or just actually embracing something. And what I mean by that is that you can tell the difference between someone who has fully accepted or taken into themselves as part of their beliefs something in this life and someone who has not. I worked with many a person skilled in how to talk to people, many people who knew all the parts of the systems we used, or who could tell you the original, you know, part number for a, a particular vehicle in the you know, GM line or Ford line. And I worked with a few people who embraced their job or the culture the company wanted to create. When I say those things, embraced their job or the culture, I don't mean becoming a company man where you're bought and paid for by corporate dollars so much as I mean that when they came to work, they became that person who cared more about just their well-being. And I want to clarify, I mean the majority, I, I do believe the majority of people want to see good happen to those around them. There is, however, a natural inclination to worry about oneself that can take over many other people and parts of the world around us. I worked with a person uh, for a season who embraced whatever the rules were and who taught the company pledges and phrases by living into whatever it was they said. And working with them, though sometimes annoying because they made sure you knew you were about to break a rule, made sure that even in the muck of corporate politics, rules, sales goals, and that sort of thing, that the spirit of camaraderie and safety uh, of all, that the workday was the best it could be. That is something that affected everyone, all the way up to the leadership for the whole uh, East Coast region that we worked in. To the point that though we were both low-rung managers at this uh, corporation, the leadership for that region knew their name and would ask their opinion whenever they visited. You can really tell the difference between someone who has fully accepted or taken into themselves as part of their beliefs something in this life. Now the same is evident about faith. What you believe as a Christian. What you believe about any matter related to faith. It may not be evident on the first day of meeting you, but people will figure it out after uh, some time watching your actions and what you say. Another way to say this is our actions and words exhibit what we hold high in our priorities or benchmarks of faith. How we love, not just our spouses, partners, and children, but also extended family, friends, neighbors, strangers, the outsider. That is how well we welcome those people and show hospitality. How well we honor those aside from ourselves. How ardently we serve the Lord how and what we bless and rejoice. Those things are shown in even the littlest words and the actions we take. In the gospel reading from Matthew, uh, we're again looking in Matthew, and we have one of those passages with kind of a, a zinger of a comeback, one that is used in many a way and by many yet today. The, Get behind me, Satan! 
And I'm not sure I could tell you how many times I've heard this in, in uh, condemnation, correction, and for humor and comedy alike. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're a stumbling block, an offense, an impediment. Or this can also be translated as a cause of ruin, something that causes sin. And right before we get to this act, this section in Matthew, these verses 21 through 28, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am and who do you, uh, who do they say I am and who do you say I am? And Peter answers, well, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the chosen one. You are the one that the prophets foretold. You are the one to save us all. And Jesus responded by telling Peter how he was blessed because this realization came from God not from some human source. Peter recognized who Jesus is, and in response, Jesus not only blesses him, but tells him that he will be one to build the church. Peter is one of the great pillars of the church, one of the disciples to do great things in establishing what we are now able to take part of here in the West, the church of the triune God. So we have this very uplifting and positive interaction, and then Peter does something interesting. Perhaps it's because Peter now was feeling a bit zealous. Perhaps it is a, a high of sorts. Peter being named in front of the other disciples as the rock of the church. But Peter gets a little bit out of line. Jesus starts to share what needs to happen, what in fact will happen. Jesus needs to go to the holy city, to Jerusalem, and suffer much he will be killed and be resurrected. And as he's sharing this, Peter grabs Jesus' arm, pulls him aside, and says, uh, it says, rebukes him. He rebukes him saying, far be it from you, Lord, or God forbid this would happen to you. So not long ago, you know, now Peter recognizes and says, you are the son of God, the one to save us all. And now he is rebuking the Messiah. The other ways that the Greek word here for rebuke could be translated is to assess a penalty, to allege, allege as a crimination, that is to say accused Jesus of wrongdoing, to censure, reprimand, to strongly scold. This, you know, in, in my mind is like going to someone's award banquet and right after announcing to the audience that this person deserves this award, pulling them to the side of the stage and telling them how awful they are. It just isn't going to sit well. You know, we might be able to empathize with Peter a little here. He knows Jesus is the one sent from God to save them all, and now Jesus is talking about walking right into the house of oppression and giving himself over to it. We can understand that Peter wants Isaiah to be correct. He wants the other prophecies about the Messiah to be true. Peter knows that this is the Messiah, and this guy wants to just go and die? How could he do this? How could God send a dense Messiah to take on corruption in an occupying army? It's like, you'll forgive the old reference here, uh, sending Gomer Pyle to the Marines, it just doesn't make sense. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We have the benefit of 
knowing the rest of the Gospels and knowing that Jesus' work was more about the spirit and faith than in defeating worldly powers. Peter was buying into the issues of politics, the issues of Rome and the religious elite bribing each other. Peter believed that Jesus was here to make a loud, physical attack on the things that the Jewish people were being subjected to, being under those Roman occupiers. Peter missed the spiritual parts and the faith parts, the inner work that was talked about in the foretelling of the Messiah. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I'll spoil the answer for you if you don't know. The answer is nothing apart from what we commit to in accepting Jesus Christ and applying his example to our lives. Which brings us back to where we started this episode, that it is evident of someone who is fully accepted or taken into themselves as part of their beliefs something in this life. Peter had taken into his heart the belief that the only way to find salvation was in a physical upheaval. Peter had bought this idea that the only way for the children of God to get back to God was to own their home, to take back the land and send the Romans out, to set things back to where they were before they were taken into exile, the first, second, and subsequent changing of hands of who occupied the land. Peter believed that to be a good Jew, to follow the Messiah, was to go to war, here it appears. And this is evident still in Jesus' arrest when Peter drew a sword and attacked the high priest's slave. It is evident of someone who has fully accepted or taken into themselves as part of their beliefs the things of Jesus Christ, our example and savior. We live in a tumultuous world. Here in America, we live in a place of constant dispute. It is not unlike the world where Peter walked through and lived in that way. Jerusalem would have been full of tension between political leaders, the religious elite, and people buying into the words of someone who spoke the loudest. In the world where our reading in Romans comes from, to be Christian held the consequence of death. Paul wrote this. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. These are all things that Jesus modeled or shared in some form in his life and ministry, and it occurs to me that if more of us believed these things most sincerely, that the world around us would be different. In the first verse in Romans that we read, Romans 12.9, strikes me as one that is hard, but perhaps the best place to start in asking, do you believe this to your very core? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. 
Love must be sincere, not just what we often focus on in Western culture with the love of two individuals or the love of a parent and a child. Love must be sincere, period. All forms of love between you and any human. Love must be genuine. Be devoted to one another in love. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you read James 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st Corinthians, and a number of other books throughout the Bible, you'll find that love is mentioned a lot, 714 times, depending on the translation. And if you go with the spirit of love, it is implied more than that, in my understanding of the Bible. Either way, it's a big deal. I say again, it is evident of someone who has fully accepted or taken into themselves as part of their beliefs, the things of Jesus Christ, who is our example and savior. The things highlighted in Romans is just a short list of the things that we are to hold fast to, the things that are good, and chief amongst them is love. And I implore you to explore what you believe, truly believe from the example of Jesus Christ. These things are evident to everyone else. These things are evident not only to those sitting around you, those who hear others talk about you, those who see you interact out in your community. What you believe is on display, whether you want it to be or not. As Christians, those who work to be Christ-like, as our namesake implies, we are to be modeling what was modeled to us. We can give Peter a little bit of a pass, as he was one of the first to try and understand that. We, however, have little excuse not to be better and to know that what we believe, how we act, how we talk, the things that we truly believe in, what we do, is following Christ's example. If you're not working for this in yourself, I assure you that rebuke from Jesus still rings true, calling to us. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So I again implore you today, what do you believe? The world looks to Christians as we look to Jesus, the disciples, the apostles, to see how we should act and what we believe. So what do you believe? Do you believe it most sincerely? Have you taken it into yourself? I'm going to leave you with that question, and I hope that you wrestle with it this week. As it is one that even the most faithful of us ought to wrestle with. As you're wrestling with that, I would love to hear your thoughts, your own ponderings on this and then what is in this episode or anything previously down in the show notes you can find all the contact for the podcast you can reach out on email or on social media if you're listening on spotify you can respond directly through a question down in the episode description and i hope that you do reach out wherever you are whatever you're doing i hope that you are doing well know that god loves you so very much there is nothing that you or anyone else can do about it. We'll see you in the next episode.